Well, good morning, Element Church, and welcome to our online worship gathering this morning. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and uh, so thankful that you're choosing to join us. And I want to welcome you to week one of our brand new series called Thy Kingdom Come. Now, that phrase, Thy Kingdom Come, comes from what is probably the most famous prayer uh, in all of human history, certainly the most famous prayer that many of us have heard and the most famous prayer in the Bible. And it's a prayer that Jesus uses to illustrate or to teach his followers how to pray. When they asked him, how should we pray? He said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Now, depending on uh, your familiarity with Uh, that prayer, maybe how much time you've spent in church, or even uh, what kind of Bible uh, your your family read at home or they read at church, you might have heard the phrasing be just a little bit. And in the traditional King James version, the really old version that uses the these and the thous, it says, thy kingdom come. You know, Jesus taught his disciples to pray for God's kingdom to come. Uh, The idea of God's kingdom is is one of the most popular subjects of all of Jesus's teaching, something that he taught all of the time. And as a matter of fact, there's a particular instance in which Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom that I want us to look at together today. And it comes from the very end of his time on earth. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open up to Acts chapter 1 and and read about this instance where Jesus continues this uh, theme of teaching on the kingdom. Now, I'd love to give a little context for the book of Acts before we start reading. You see, if you're not familiar, um, our Bibles are divided up into two major sections. You have the Old Testament, which is the part that was written before Jesus, and then you have the New Testament, which was written in response to the life and the teaching of Jesus. And within that, in those two big sections, you have a total of 66 different books. Um, Those books were written by at least 40 different authors in three different languages on multiple different uh, continents. Uh, it was written over the span of nearly 15, 1600 years. Yet, when you put them all together, they tell one big story. Matter of fact, earlier this year, as a church, we went on a seven-week journey in a sermon series called The Grand Narrative, where we spent seven weeks looking at the entire story of the Bible from beginning to end to see how it all flows together. Well, within the New Testament, uh, you, you have a book uh, called Acts. Uh, often called the Acts of the Apostles. And this is the story of the birth of the church. Now, you may not realize this, but Acts is actually part two of a two-part work. Um, Within the New Testament, we have four stories of Jesus. We often call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written uh, by four different individuals, giving four different perspectives on the life of Jesus. And actually Luke, uh, who wrote one of those accounts, also is the author of Acts. And so part one of his work is the story of Jesus. Part two of his work is the story of the church that was birthed in response to the life and the ministry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so as Luke closes out the story of Jesus in his gospel, um, he opens up with the story of the church in the, in the book of Acts. And there's just a little bit of overlap between the two uh, that we're going to look at today. And so we're going to start by looking at Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start in verses 1 through 3. And it says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, 
Now, Theophilus was uh, the individual that um, Luke was writing to, or more, more likely it was probably the patron, the person who was paying for Luke to do all the research and the writing. And so he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after this suffering, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so what Luke says is essentially, um, hey, in, in my first book, I wrote every, all about what Jesus did, what he taught, and I wrote all the way up until uh, he ascended back into heaven. And so Luke is going to pick up this story and, and continue on. But what he tells uh, his audience is that Listen, after Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 days with his disciples teaching them about the kingdom. And so what we, what we see is that Jesus, after the resurrection, has a little bit of time left to, to, to spend with his followers. Um, Luke tells us that he uh, revealed himself and showed that he was really resurrected by a number of different, as he said, proofs or evidence. I mean, you can imagine Somebody that you had um, given so much of your life to follow and to learn from, you watch them be brutally tortured and crucified. Uh, none of the disciples were expecting Jesus to rise again. And so you can imagine how they had a little bit of a hard time wrapping their minds around. And so Jesus just spends time with them, uh, hanging out with them. He lets them like touch his skin, uh, see where he was, his hands were pierced, his side was pierced. He even eats food with them just to show them that he's real and he really was resurrected. And he spends that time teaching them about the kingdom. I mean, how important is the kingdom of God that Jesus, even after his resurrection, is still trying to teach his disciples about how important God's rule and reign in our lives and in this world is. And so he tells us that, that Jesus spent 40 days with them. Well, 40 days from what point to what point? Well, according to Luke's story, it's from the resurrection until the ascension, from the time Jesus raised out of the grave until he returns back to heaven. Now, interestingly enough, you might not realize this, but this coming Thursday is the 40th day since Easter. Now, if you're watching us live, then, then, then you know what Thursday I'm talking about. But maybe if you're catching up with us later, you're watching this video on demand. Uh, that's Thursday, May 21st. May 21st is the 40th day since we celebrated Easter. And so traditionally, that's the day that we celebrate the ascension of Jesus. And we see that he spent his time teaching about the kingdom. And so what I want to do is Luke gave us a summary. He kind of summarized here what Jesus did in that 40 days. But I want to jump back to his gospel where we get a little more detail about exactly what Jesus was doing and exactly what he was teaching during those 40 days. And so we're going to go to Luke chapter 24. This is at the very end of his first part, the first uh, book that he wrote. And we're going to look at verses 44 through 49. And it says this, then he, that's Jesus, said to them, that's the disciples and his followers, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, that's the Old Testament. That's the part we were just talking about, the part that was written before Jesus. And what Jesus starts to do is show his followers how everything that was written before him was all pointing toward him. And Jesus continues, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. 
and verse 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus, as he's talking with his disciples and he's teaching them about the kingdom, he says this really powerful and profound statement, right? That that the design of all of this is that Jesus would come to, to introduce or to begin or to inaugurate the kingdom of God on this earth. But that with this kingdom, repentance and the forgiveness of sins was going to be proclaimed throughout all the nations. Uh, it's such a cool idea that Jesus is already getting his followers to look outward, to start thinking global about what this kingdom was going to be all about. And so he, he tells them the Christ was designed. It was always foretold that I was going to come, suffer, rise from the dead. But then as the kingdom grows, repentance, the message, what we would call the gospel, the message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins would be taken to all the nations, he says. And then he tells them this, and you are my witnesses. You are witnesses to these things, and it's you that I'm looking toward to start taking this message global. But Jesus talks about them being a witness in one other place, And again, we're going to jump back to Acts again. So we're going to go back to part two uh, of this two-part work, and we'll be back in chapter one again. And and Jesus is going to talk to his disciples, to his followers, to all those who are there who have trusted and followed him, and he's going to teach them about being witnesses again. And so we're in Acts one, looking at verses eight and nine together. And it says this, but you, this is Jesus speaking to his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So there we see the ascension of Jesus returning to heaven. That event that takes place 40 days after Easter, 40 days after the resurrection. And so twice here, Jesus emphasizes to his followers, hey, you guys are my witnesses. You guys are the ones who are going to take this message of God's kingdom, of forgiveness of sins and repentance, are going to take it global. You're going to take it to all the nations, as as he said in Luke, or to the ends of the earth, as he tells them in Acts. And then we see Jesus uh, ascend into heaven. Now, here's what's interesting. We said that Luke and Acts was like a two-part work, Uh, that essentially part one was about the life and the ministry, the death, the resurrection uh, of Jesus. It's the beginning, it's the inauguration of the kingdom. And then part two is the birth and the growth of the church. It's it's as we see the kingdom start growing and expanding uh, and, and starting in Jerusalem and going outward. There is one event, one event that ties the two stories together. And that event is the ascension of Jesus back into heaven. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute because as Christians, we don't often think about the ascension and we honestly don't talk about the ascension of Jesus from earth uh, ascending into heaven too often. I mean, most of the time when we talk about the big moments, the the earth-shattering moments of Jesus's life, we talk about the cross. We talk about the crucifixion and rightly so because it's there that we see that Jesus takes on our sin upon himself and pays a penalty for our sin that we could not afford to pay ourselves. 
And in the resurrection, we see Jesus raised to new life. And as we've been talking about the last several weeks ever since Easter, that the resurrection doesn't just mean new life for Jesus, but as the phrase that we've used for the last several weeks, but for those who are in Christ, Jesus's resurrection means new life for us as well. And we talk about Jesus's ministry. Uh, we talk about his birth every year at Christmas. Uh, we talk about his death and his resurrection all year, but especially at Easter. But it's not very often that we talk about the ascension. But what's interesting is for Luke, that's the one event that he uses to tie his two stories together. I mean, you would think, probably because of what the importance we place on it, that maybe the cross or the resurrection would be that one event that ties the two stories as we transition from Jesus' story to the story of the church. But for Luke, it's the ascension. It's the one story he tells both in, the, in Luke and in Acts that sort of overlay one another to tie the two stories together. And here's why I think he, he did it. As long as the disciples could see Jesus... They were just going to expect him uh, to do the work. I mean, in the past, he was the one that uh, he was the one to teach. He was the one to heal. He was the one to minister. He was the one to to excite people. He was the one to ignite a fire in someone. And as long as they could see Jesus, they were going to sit back and let Jesus do the work. They were going to sit back and watch Jesus uh, reach out and touch people in a in a physical way and in a spiritual way. And I think that Jesus, uh, his ascension, his public ascension uh, into heaven is, is recorded twice by Luke because Luke wants us to know that, that Jesus is not physically here to do the work uh, that he inaugurated. Now, we know that Jesus sends the Spirit. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about that in the next few weeks. Uh, Jesus sending the Spirit to fill us and empower us to carry on his ministry and his mission. But, but Luke wants us to know that Jesus has ascended to his rightful place in heaven. And with Jesus' ascension, uh, Jesus passes the torch. He passes the torch of, of carrying on his ministry and his mis- mission. Jesus passes the torch of caring and growing the kingdom of God. Jesus passes the torch of us taking the gospel message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins to every nation, to the ends of the earth. Now, you might be thinking, well, yeah, Jesus passed the torch, but, but, but Jesus passed, passed the torch to, to, the, to the qualified people, uh, to those who knew what they were doing, to those who had been trained. And certainly Jesus did pass the torch to the disciples. But what we're going to see is that that's not where it stops. Yes, Jesus passes the, the torch to the church, but he didn't pass it on to an organization. Yeah, he passed it on to some of his disciples, but, but Jesus didn't just pass it on to, to teachers and leaders and pastors and those who are trained. You might even be saying this morning, sitting there going, yeah, that's great that taking this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to, to all these new places, but, but that's not really my, my, my skill set. That's not really uh, what I'm comfortable doing. But, but here's what I want you to see. That, that actually Jesus designed this whole process to be carried forward by people like you and me, by, by everyday people, not just those who got to hear and walk and talk with Jesus. You see, when the church began, the, the story that we see in the beginning of Acts um, is, is a really just organic, natural movement. 
In, in the beginning, they didn't have a lot of organization. There wasn't a building. There weren't uh, official leaders and titles. As a matter of fact, uh, we see the very early part of the church, one of their very first problems that they ever had, one of the very first internal struggles they had was because of a lack of organization and systems and structures. You see, they were trying to give out uh, resources to the poor and those who needed it. And, and there were some people who were getting more and some people who were uh, being overlooked and not getting enough. And, and so some of uh, the apostles came and they were like, listen, this is not good. We can't have this. We can't have some people getting extra and some people not getting any. And so they were like, we're so busy preaching and teaching that uh, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to create some systems. We're going to create structure. We're going to put in some leadership in place to help manage this thing. And what we see is the church starts to grow in its organization and its structure and its leadership. Uh, a few decades later, uh, the apostle Paul, who was one of the primary early leaders. I mean, he was a guy who took Jesus at his word and was devoted to carrying on the gospel message, that message of repentance and forgiveness of sin. He was devoted to taking that message to all nations, to taking it to the ends of the earth. And um, as the decades go on, the church grows and it becomes more structured. Uh, there's, there's more systems in place, more leadership in place. And then Paul starts to talk about the church. He, he likes to use this analogy, um, that the church is like a body, um, or we could say the body of Christ. We're a body, Jesus is the head, and then you and I, all of us, we're members of that body. That's actually where we get the word membership from when we talk about church membership. It comes from this idea of us being members of a body. And so he talks about how each member plays a different role or a different function. And here's what Paul has to say about some of those roles and some of those functions in the church. He says this in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we'll read verses 11 and 12. It says this, and he gave some, and he gave, that's Jesus, he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. Now the word shepherds there uh, can also be translated pastors. And so that's where we get the word. It can either be translated shepherd or pastor. And so he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what we see is as the church starts taking on more structure and more leadership, as you start to have more defined roles, Paul says that God has orchestrated this for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. You may ask, who are the saints? It's you. If you're watching this morning and, and you would say that, that the gospel has impacted your life, that through repentance you've received the forgiveness of sin, that you are a follower of Jesus, then that means you're one of the saints. And whether you ever thought about it or not, that means you have been called and equip, equipped for the works of ministry. Jesus didn't just pass the torch on to certain trained professionals or leaders. As a matter of fact, those early original disciples, um, just a few chapters after what we read when Jesus passed the torch on to them, uh, some people were talking about them and, and one of their criticisms of these early leaders was that they were just, quote, uneducated, ordinary men. Jesus passed the torch on to all of us, not just a select few, not just an organization, he didn't pass the torch on to a, a building and programs and budgets. Jesus passed the torch to you and I.
He taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. And then as Jesus revealed that kingdom, God's rule and reign carries with it this message of repentance and this message of forgiveness of sins. And Jesus has passed the torch to you and me to carry that message to all the nations, to the very ends of the earth. Now, when you hear that phrase, the ends of the earth, what do you think of? I mean, I'm guessing most of us think of a place far, far away, something really remote, like maybe a, 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 a like a tribe in Papua New Guinea, some, some unreached tribe that no one's ever made contact with. You know, what's actually cool is that our church actually su- supports missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Uh, we've been supporting them for the last five years, ever since they got started. And, and uh, we've gotten to see this journey as they've um, started to, to work with a local tribe uh, that, that only had a spoken language. They had no alphabet, no written language. Over the last five years, they've started to get to know this tribe, learn their language. Just recently, they developed an alphabet for this, uh, for this tribe. And they just finished translating the Bible into this brand new language. As a matter of fact, on June 1st is their celebration of the very first language class they're ever going to host to teach this tribe in Papua New Guinea uh, how to read so that they can teach them how to read and engage with the story, uh, the grand narrative of God's interaction with people, and so that they can share the love of Jesus in this gospel message with them. And so you have been a part of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. If, you, if you've been a part of Element Church and helped supported our mission, then you've supported those missionaries. Uh, when they first moved into the tribe and they were building a hut, um, we helped them buy solar panels to put on the top. And because they have solar panels and they can wire, uh, they can have a satellite and, and get internet access, that's how we've been able to keep up with their story. But I want you to think about this. When Jesus told uh, those first followers that they were going to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth, what was the ends of the earth to them? Well, had they known North America existed, then we would have been the ends of the earth. That means your next door neighbor is the ends of the earth. That means the office next to you at your place of work is the ends of the earth. That means the people that you sit with at a school cafeteria, that's the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus passed the torch on to you and to I to carry on the gospel message, to equip us for works of ministry. When Jesus ascended, that was letting us know, when when Luke records it twice, it's, it's that confirmation that Jesus physically is not here. He has passed the torch to you. You have been called and equipped for works of ministry. And so when we pray the prayer, thy kingdom come, we're praying for God to do a work in and through us. We're asking God to equip us, to give us the boldness, to give us the passion to carry on the gospel message, that gospel message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to all those that we interact with. Because you and I live in the ends of the earth and we have been called to carry on this gospel message and to build God's kingdom here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to be reminded of the challenge that you have put on our lives. That you have passed the torch of ministry to us. And God, I pray that we would have the boldness and the faith that as we pray those words, thy kingdom come, we realize we are praying for you to work in us to reach and impact people in our lives. 
God, I ask that if there's anyone listening this morning, anyone who has not experienced new life in you, anyone who has not embraced the gospel message of repentance and forgiveness of sin, that they would lean on you, that they would call out on you this morning, that they would lay their lives down before you, that they would ask for you to come and be their king, that the kingdom of God would take residence in their hearts, that they would acknowledge you as the king of their lives and surrender all to following you and to carry on this torch of your ministry and mission to the world. We love you, Jesus. Praise in your name.